Sarah Strumming, and this is Cop Dog Radio, a place where I will share my stories, cases, and considerations when it comes to all things dog sports and dog training. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so today I've got Dr. Patty Mahoney. She's a friend of mine. You guys might remember her from the Kevin podcast story. So if you haven't listened to that, I totally recommend checking out Kevin uh, part one, two, and three. And she's a general practice veterinarian. I did a shout out on Facebook to get some questions for this podcast. And I want to reassure you guys, a lot of those questions are not going to be addressed here because I think those questions are better for a nutritionist and I plan to get a nutritionist on the podcast. So if we don't answer all your nutrition questions, we're not going to. (laughs) Don't worry. Um, I'm going to get a nutritionist on here to answer those questions. And I also just want to do a quick little mention of the fact that I know people get really heated about this subject. And so if we get any um hostile responses i'm very good at ignoring them so if you have a disagreement or want to have a dialogue with me after this podcast about anything that i say uh just remember to keep yourself in check so that um i don't have to delete your email um all right patty so take it away and introduce yourself my name is patty mahoney and I am a general practice veterinarian. I graduated from Colorado State University's School of Veterinary Medicine in 1997. So that means I've been a practicing veterinarian for 20 years. And I've been in the field since I was a teenager. So I have been in and around the field of veterinary medicine for a very long time. And uh, Sarah asked me to do this, not because of my expertise in nutrition or any of those things. I am I am not a veterinary nutritionist and I really won't be presenting my information in that capacity like she said. But what I'm hoping is that I can provide kind of a little bit of a bridge between the veterinarian that you the listeners that are listening to this podcast may run into because I'm very similar probably to the type of veterinarian that most people have access to for their pets. Unless go and seek out a specialist, most people's first line when they're taking their dog to a veterinarian is a general practitioner like I am. So that's what I'm kind of hoping today is, is that I can um, bridge the gap um, between client and general practice veterinarian. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for today. Awesome. That's exactly why I wanted Patty to come on, because most of us don't have access to a nutritionist on a regular basis. We have access to our general practice vets. So, Patty, start out by telling me what is the average general practice veterinarian's take on raw diets and why is that? You should never feed them. <laughs> That's the general practice veterinarian's recommendation is going to be that you shouldn't do it. The American Veterinary Medical Association's uh, stand on feeding particularly raw protein sources is that it shouldn't be done. And that's how I was trained, that it shouldn't be done. It shouldn't be recommended. And primarily, I have to say that the recommendation, the reason why, does not stem from the health of the dog, which, again, we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But it really stems from a zoonotic standpoint. Zoonosis is any type of disease that is transmissible from human or from animals to humans. And ultimately, your veterinarian is the first line of defense in keeping the humans that live with animals safe. So that is our ultimate goal as a general practice veterinarian. That is why most veterinarians are going to blanketly make the recommendation, do not feed raw diets, do not feed raw protein sources to your dog. It's really more that that's where we're trained, that's where it comes from, comes from the CDC, the FDA, the AVMA, all have a stance that it is unsafe um, for humans to be feeding 
raw diets to dogs. And that's why the general practice veterinarian is going to follow what the AVMA is telling them to do. And I think there's this um, idea that definitely came through on Facebook when I asked people to talk about some of their questions in related to this in relation to this topic. There's this idea that um, the reason general practice vets are anti-raw diet is because they're in bed with pet food companies in some way or another, right? And so can you talk a little bit about the truth about the relationship between pet food companies and veterinarians? Well, and I can certainly speak to my, I don't know know the experience that other veterinarians have and that other veterinary schools have, you know, certainly, but I can speak to mine. And when I was in veterinary school, I was provided um, a free, I think it was a free bag of dog food every month or something, I, I believe is what it was. And it was from the large pet food companies would do that. And here is my true feeling about that. And it, it, it really doesn't just, we're talking about food here, but it also stems from, you know, samples of of medications from pharmaceutical reps and, and things like that. It, this all kind of falls into the same category. What I really feel is that it is a marketing tool for those companies. I feel like they're hoping for name recognition. I feel like they're hoping that when I get out of school as a veterinarian, I have heard of their foods enough that then that is what I will turn around and be most comfortable with and then seek information about and hopefully recommend to my clients from their standpoint. I am not, as a veterinarian, I think I, for veterinarians in general, when I say, especially, and I think people, this makes sense, you know, from, again, a pharmaceutical rep handing me, you know, samples of medications. I am not going to just give a medication because that is the one that the reps have handed me the most samples of. If I do not think that's the best medication for an animal, that is not the one that I'm going to recommend. However, that may be the first one that I take a look at. It may be the one that the name is the most familiar for me, so I take a look at it. Does not does not ultimately sway the recommendation that I make. I'm going to make the best recommendation for my patient, regardless of whether anybody handed me samples or gave me free bags of food or any of those sorts of things. I don't get a paycheck from any of those big pet food companies. I never did. I still don't. If I decide to say that I recommend this a veterinary line made by this particular company and I put their window decal on my window, I don't get money for that. I, I, they, they you know, might ask me if I would do that, if I recommend their foods, and they're hoping that I will, but I don't get a paycheck from them. I don't do it for that reason. The AVMA, again, is made up of for the most part, the people that are actually legislating and making the recommendations that go out for the American Veterinary Medical Association are not paid positions. Those are typically volunteer positions, and they do that for a reason. They don't want them to be biased. They are not being paid by big pet food corporations. None of that is the case. Um, I do feel like, again, it's name recognition. And like we, you know, talk about, I always laugh and tell people, if somebody handed me, you know, the same bar of soap every single time and that's all that I saw then again when I was asked the question what brand of soap comes first to your mind that's probably the name that's going to pop up in my head so I do feel like they're doing it for a reason I think it's a marketing tool for them their businesses I feel like that that's why they do it in my particular case and in the case I feel of most veterinarians that does not mean that I'm necessarily going to go out and recommend their food or their diet or their therapeutic line or their anything. I'm still going to hopefully make the best recommendations that I can for my patients based on what I feel is right for them. And I think that's a great answer. And I do think, you know, that's of course true across the board. I think people get pretty up in arms about pet food companies, myself included, Um, because I think that big corporations by and large are often um you know in it for themselves but i think that you know that's going to be the case no matter what we're purchasing to feed our pets whether it is meat from the grocery store or um a prepackaged raw food so 
Thanks for answering that question. Um, Moving on, I think I'd really like to hear what your thoughts today are on feeding a raw diet versus 10 years ago and why that has changed. What's funny about this is it's really hard to answer this in just a podcast format because the two of us are friends and yet went through this journey together. I was adamant because I had been trained that I was not supposed to feed raw. I remember telling you that. I remember stating you are not going to sway me on this, so don't even try. And to your credit, (laughs) you didn't try. You really didn't. You know, you left it alone because you knew that we weren't going to, it just wasn't going to go well. So you left it alone. And we didn't revisit it again for a very long time in, in our time in working with Kevin. So it's really interesting to me because the reason that my opinions have changed, absolutely, 100% is because of my own personal experience. And I will say that many times I've told people, I've been a pet owner a lot longer than I've been a veterinarian. So what I'm hoping is that my education as a veterinarian, my skills as a veterinarian are of benefit, but I'm still a pet owner. (laughs) You know, I still take my experiences with my own personal pets And I incorporate that into my philosophies and my beliefs and my thoughts. So the difference in 10 years is night and day. I would have told you before, absolutely don't do it. It isn't safe. Here's why Um, zoonotic diseases are are a problem. It isn't safe for your family. I worry um, that, you know, you would be handling raw food that your animal would be eating and not only that, but then your animal could potentially um, shed bacteria that your family could catch. And I I would have told you all of the safety reasons or all of the zoonotic reasons not to do it. That's what my answer would have been, because that is, in the two of us talking, what my answer was. So that's, that's what I said. Now, Kevin was a whole interesting experience on many levels. But raw food um, was a huge one because we had worked together for behavior modification. And for those people that have not listened to the podcast, first of all, Kevin is not a human. Kevin is my dog. Kevin is a (laughs) lovely now six-year-old white German shepherd, um, and I adore him. And he probably had the worst case of anxiety, just generalized anxiety to life to air, to the world that I had really ever seen. And I think that sometimes the animals that are in our life come into our life for a reason, and I feel like that's probably why Kevin, um, in all reality, came to me. We had been working and doing behavior modification. We had done training with Kevin. We had done all kinds of things with Kevin. We had brought Kevin to a very high level, and it still wasn't good enough. And then I remember, again, I'm a Western-trained veterinarians. So we discussed behavior modifying medications. And I made the decision to try Kevin on Prozac. And he had horrible adverse reaction to the medication very quickly. That was very long lasting. And and it was very clear that behavior modifying um, pharmaceuticals were not an option for this particular dog. And these he were, literally this was a physical response. It wasn't that his, be- yes. I mean, his behavior did get worse, but we both kind of believe yes. strongly that the reason it did was because of what the drug was doing to because his body. Because he wouldn't stop vomiting. Yeah, yes. that might have been it. I mean, I would get, I would be <laughs> upset, I think, too, and not functioning well if I couldn't stop vomiting right. also. Yeah, it was dramatic. It was bad. And that's not a typical and side effect at all of fluoxetine, no, but Kevin's not typical no. in any way. So In any way. And <laughs> his reaction was literally dramatic. And so it became very obvious that we had really exhausted everything. And I, I say this only because it's funny. The two of us were sitting and eating at a Chinese restaurant, and literally you looked at me, and we had not discussed raw feeding again. We really had left it alone. And you looked at me and you said, this is the only thing I know left to recommend to you that I think could make a difference from what experience you had had and had seen and had and had done. And I said, because it, Kevin's anxiety was so bad that it, it decreased, his quality of life was not a 
appropriate. His quality of life is not okay. You would so even say said, euthanasia was on the table. It was on the table. Yeah, that's it how really bad it was. was. Because if you really truly feel like living your life is just that, I felt that he really just, his quality of life just wasn't there. And yet, Kevin has access to a lot of things. Kevin lives on a farm. He had free, you know, exercise. He, again, he was trained. We were doing, you know, puzzle toys and all kinds of, there was a lot of wonderful things for Kevin that he had improved and it wasn't good enough. And you said, this is really the only thing I think that we have left on the table. And I handed you the money that day in that Chinese restaurant and said, okay. And I had you go to the store because I couldn't do it. I had you go to the store and I said, get me one week's worth of food for this dog. And that's what you did. And one day Kevin ate kibble and the next day Kevin ate raw. And never in my career, and I've been doing this for a very long time, never in my career had I seen a reaction so dramatic, not for any drug I have ever given. Nothing has been honestly as dramatic as I saw the change in this dog. And would that be that way for all dogs? I have no idea. But for this one that lived in my house, that I watched and witnessed every day, the reaction was so tangible that it was undeniable. I could not deny that that is what made the difference for him. Now, did it alleviate all of his anxiety? No, he's still Kevin. But did it bring him to a place where he truly, I felt like, healed on a number of levels? I feel like his GI tract healed. I feel like his his anxiety baseline level became better and better and better. And really, the only change at that point that was different, the only thing that was different is what, what we fed this dog. And talk a little bit about how your process was um feeding him because i remember that you were petrified you because of everything that you had been taught you were certain that you were going to kill kill him or somebody else i mean you were really worried about it taco yeah everything with bleach do you remember me yes so (laughs) i was that person i was i was that person i was petrified that this was really really scary and i have to be honest i trusted you And I tried it, but I really felt like there was a good chance that I was going to kill Kevin. And I really did feel like it was unsafe because that's really what I had been trained to believe. And it's really what I did believe. So what's interesting about that is that that's a process, just like a lot of things in life. And for me, that was a process. I'm very type A personality. We've discussed that before. It's very true. It's good to stay that way. And so I'm very black and white. Things exist. I don't do gray well. So if I was going to do it, I was going to do it 100%. And I was really going to try to do my best. I had a veterinarian that I had worked with that had been my mentor when I was very, very young. And I knew that he had said, and recommended in his practice raw for a number of years. And I called him on the phone. I hadn't talked to him in years. And I called him on the phone and I said, I need you to help me because I'm doing this and, I, and I'm scared. And I need to know that I'm making the right decisions. And I did research that I could do. It's very hard in this country, in my opinion, to find a lot of veterinary research in this topic because it's just shut down. As soon as you start asking questions and talking about raw food, it's just in this profession, nobody will talk to you. So I literally left this country and I started talking to veterinarians in Australia because it's very common to feed raw diets in Australia. And so I gained a lot of information there and that's as I was already feeding Kevin raw. But I was trying to gather information so that I could be more comfortable. And then I was going through the process of, again, gloving and <laughs> I, I laughed at gloving and gowning and bleaching and everything, but I wasn't <laughs> far off. I mean, I was pretty extreme. And, um, and all of that was really a thing right up until, and I live on a small farm, right up until the day that Kevin ran out, grabbed a fresh pile of horse manure, and ate it on his way back to run and see me. And something in my logical brain kicked in and said, huh, (laughs) maybe I don't need to be quite as concerned as I have been. Because I have seen Kevin eat 
horse manure a thousand times. And if basic pathogens were going to kill him, wouldn't that have already happened? The other thing that was a light bulb moment is that I was preparing dinner for my family and I was making chicken. And what did I do? I cut the chicken on the cutting board and I washed my hands, I washed the board, I washed the knife, I moved on with my day. I didn't glove, I didn't bleach, I didn't gown up, you know, I didn't, I didn't do any of those things. And it dawned on me at that time that I was I was being more worried, I think, than I needed to be. So I needed to have, I, for me personally, I had to have, I had to watch him eat horse manure, which again, I had seen a thousand times, but I had to see it differently. I had to cook chicken for my family and, and see that differently with different eyes. I had to speak to my mentor and people that I trusted. I had to do research for myself. And through that process, I started to realize that I could be more comfortable and, and see because the results that I was seeing in the dog in front of me were so dramatic that it, I couldn't deny it was making a difference. And so I had to wrap my head around the fact that I needed to at least try this and see what happened. And as that process went on, I started to look at the whole picture differently. Now, do you still need to use good hygiene when you feed raw food to your animal? Absolutely. I mean, I wash cutting boards and knives and I, you know, I mean, I do all those things. I realize that I'm preparing raw meat and I, and I, and I do all of that. Um, but I mean, but not to the extreme, Right. just good basic practices. And you don't actually need to be as concerned as you were. Right. When you hand a piece of raw meat to your dog, because as my mentor who taught me how to feed raw almost 10 years ago now said, Sarah, dogs eat poop and they don't die. <laughs> and I said, so oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> they eat, so I mean, it, it, the nasty things I have seen my dogs eat out, oh, in yeah. the, out in the world as I'm allowing them to be dogs, as I am so passionate about doing really just bring it home the chicken that i am putting in their bowl that i bought that is intended for human consumption guaranteed contains fewer pathogens than what they eat out in the world absolutely and i i have other dogs i have other animals in my house and bob one of my other dogs i watched him we moved a hay bale and a mouse ran out and bob's quick and he ate him like before I had, I, I didn't, yes. I wouldn't have the chance to stop him. I mean, that was a, that was a done deal. As far as Bob was concerned, Bob's a border collie. He's speedy. He's, I mean, that was it. And I had seen that happen before too many times. Why had I never, you know, thought about it? I just had to see everything, I think, in a different light. I think I had to be a little bit less concerned. You know, there are concerns and, and, and I saw something on Facebook where somebody said something about, you know, well, if I feed raw and I feed kibble within six hours of one another, my animal will die or something, something to that effect. And, um, not to my knowledge, that won't happen. <laughs> I, I mean, because, because that's just not, you know, the reality is that a dog's GI tract is set up very differently than a human. It's shorter. It's very acidic. It's made to handle pathogens that as a human would make us sick. And it is true that they digest kibble and they digest raw food differently. So I don't necessarily recommend mixing them. But I also don't think it's a life and death situation either. Bob ate kibble and went out and ate that mouse and he was just fine. Right. Right. You know, I mean, and so would every other dog being, being put in that same position. So I think that sometimes we have to just kind of back up out of this because I think it's, again, it's a very passionate topic. It's something that people feel like there is an absolute right and absolute wrong. And I'm probably going to be the person that says there's probably not. There's not a right answer for every family. There's not a right answer for every dog. Um, you have to kind of look at the big picture and you have to look at everything and you have to be not quite so scared of any of it. Like I said, that mouse had bones and every, it was the, he didn't, he wasn't picky. He ate the entire mouse I, he swallowed before the whole I had a chance thing. to say anything about it. 
And yeah. you're you're almost answering my next question, which is, what is your recommendation now across the board for your clients? Yeah, and that's where I don't have one recommendation that fits everything. I really don't. I still am a trained veterinarian that is worried about zoonotic disease. I am worried about the safety of the humans that I feel I am in charge of when I have your animal in my practice. Yes, the health of your animal is of utmost importance to me. But what surprises people many times is that what ranks even higher is my responsibility to keep the humans in your house safe, my responsibility to truly be the forefront, and as veterinarians we really are, in human public safety. And anything that that I do or recommend has that in mind. So, for instance, if you have an immunocompromised person in your house, I am probably not going to recommend raw feeding your dog. Does that necessarily mean that I don't think that raw feeding would be the best diet for your dog? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that in that entire picture, there's something in your family or in your household in the makeup of of where this animal lives that is going to make me take a risk versus benefit situation and is going to make me say that that probably is not the best choice for your animal. And I'm going to push back on that a little bit because we had just talked about how, you know, if you can clean your kitchen after preparing meat for your family, why can't a person clean and you know be clean enough is it does it stretch beyond um hygiene you're the concerns it really does i mean it really does but this is where things get a little bit gray and they get a little bit muddy because the reality is that we know that you know salmonella e coli campylobacter all those all those types of big big players can your dog get sick from salmonella absolutely It can happen. It has happened. But, again, because their GI tract is set up differently than a human, it's very unusual. It would be rare, and chances are your dog would have been immunocompromised in some way, very young, very old, systemically or metabolically ill. There probably was something else going on in your dog that allowed it to be susceptible to that pathogen enough that that pathogen would make that dog sick, ill, or, you know, potentially even die. You know, so, so, yes. Now, humans are a different story. Our GI tracts are are not set up that way. And the reality is that the same level of pathogen would probably make us ill, which is why we don't eat protein sources that are raw. We, We cook them. And that's for safety reasons. Animals can look healthy on the outside, and they can potentially shed those pathogens. Here's where that gets sticky. Again, I just told you my dog's eating horse manure. Is he potentially shedding pathogens? Well, I would dare say probably yes. If I feed him raw, is he? Potentially. If I feed him kibble, is he? Well, we know that there have been outbreaks of all of those things in kibble, so potentially from the kibble itself, yes. But again, also, if he eats garbage, if he does any of the other things that dogs do, then probably. So to a certain extent, dogs have the potential, you know, of of passing those things to humans just, you know, in what they do in their day-to-day life. Do we increase that risk if we feed raw? We probably do, quite honestly. We probably do, which is why, again, if there's an immunocompromised person in your house, if you have young toddlers that are crawling around on the floor, you know, and and they're not going to wash their hands before they eat and things like that, you know, I, I'm probably going to hesitate, and I'm probably going to say the risk is is too great in your family. If you have somebody that's on chemotherapy, if there is a specific reason that I think the zoonotic risk is going to be higher, I'm going to recommend that you not do that. If that's not the case in your family, then I think that if you you know if you come back and you ask me my recommendation for your pet. I'm, I'm, I'm potentially at this point, I have recommended raw. I mean, I, I, yeah. there have been cases where there have been sick animals where I have recommended raw food as a healing 
mechanism, I guess is the word I'm going to use. Um, and then I certainly talk to people that are interested in raw, and I give them good, solid information. Because if you're going to feed raw, I want you to feed a balanced diet. If you just, I don't care whether it's raw or it's cooked, but if all of you, all you feed your animal is raw hamburger, we're going to be sick. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether you feed all cooked hamburger, your dog's going to be sick. And I, think... I mean, the so raw versus cooked isn't the only issue here. We need to make sure that we are feeding balanced food. So that's why I, I'm upset when veterinarians just shut down and just won't answer and won't talk to people at all, because I don't think that that's fair either. If you come and you ask me questions about raw, I'm going to evaluate about feeding your dog raw. And first, I'm going to evaluate your family. I'm going to tell you about the risks, and then I'm going to tell you about the potential risks because I feel like that's my job, and I'm going to do that. And if I really feel like your family is not a good candidate, I will, I will still, to this day, recommend against it. But if I feel like we've talked about the risks, your family is a good candidate for that, then we're going to talk about how to feed raw correctly because I want you to be feeding a balanced diet, whether you're feeding cooked or raw. That's not the point. And then some people think that um, kibble was created to be a balanced diet because we were missing something in the way that dogs were fed 40, 50 years ago. And that's not true. Kibble was created to be convenient. Kibble was created because it was easier to find something that could be mass produced, put in a bag, put on a shelf for months at a time, scooped out, put in a bowl, and fed. And I think, you know, we were talking or I had heard at some point time that as our society has changed too as people cook less there's fewer table scraps there's fewer things that that that's what dogs lived on before on the farm right you know not only the mouse under the haystack but they were also given food off the table that people ate because that's what the people had to feed their dog it's as we eat more processed foods yes the need to provide them more processed foods has has come up so you mentioned about you mentioned that you have recommended raw for some cases can you give us maybe one example of a sick dog and maybe another example of a a well dog in which you recommended a raw diet and kind of what the results were sure i mean there's extremes obviously in all cases um so i i had a very sick dog um gastrointestinal disease this dog would get sick enough that it would end up having to be hospitalized about every month. Um, this dog had had intestinal biopsies. This dog had had a full workup. Done. This dog was on extensive medications. This dog was on the best that Western medicine really had to offer, and yet this dog was sick. This dog was on. This was a young dog. Should have been a young, very healthy dog in all other ways, but the gastrointestinal track of this dog was absolutely to the point where the owners said to me, if he has to go into the emergency room again, we're going to have to euthanize him because we just simply can't afford to do it again. And we all knew that based on this dog's history, despite all the best medications that we had, this dog was going to end up back in the ER again. And so I had this really hard talk with them because this was a sick animal. This was an animal I would not typically recommend raw in because these are the types of animals where their immune system is down. They are the type to get sick from pathogens that could be present in raw food. But this dog was going to die if I didn't make the recommendation that I I thought that literally the food was probably whatever this dog couldn't tolerate in processed foods was ultimately going to kill it. And so I recommended, I gave them the option. I told them it was against everything that they would ever hear. I told them that it was against everything I had been trained. I told them all of the things, all of the reasons why I shouldn't be recommending it. But then I told them why I did recommend it, why I really felt like it was the best choice. And I felt like the risks versus benefits in this particular dog were worth taking the chance. And they agreed with me. And that dog never went back to the ER again got off of all of its medications and that dog has lived a happy quality wonderful life and literally the husband of the family had said 
if two years from now this dog is still alive, I am going to come back and I am going to shake your hand and I am going to tell you. And two years is a long time under this particular set of circumstances. He said, you, that recommendation saved this dog's life. And so that has happened. This dog is um, is doing great, and I really do feel like in that case it was it was making that change and making that recommendation where that food actually was able to heal that dog. Um, as far as healthy animals, you know, healthy is different because it depends. Uh, again, like we've talked about, family situations, all, all kinds of things. But when I have people come to me and they say, "What do you really think the very best thing for me to feed my dog is?" I probably have to, in all honesty, turn around and say the most natural diet that we can provide them that is the most species-specific diet out there. And that is probably a raw diet. And then based on the look on their face, quite frankly. <laughs> based <laughs> on whether they look at you like you're three heads. Don't, you yeah. know, because it, it kind of depends on, you know, I mean... Some people are just absolutely opposed to it, in which case that's fine. We don't need to go down that road. I'm going to make the best recommendations that I can for home-cooked diets or for other, you know, I'm going to make, even if we need to talk about, and kibble is our only option, then we'll talk about kibble. We'll make, we'll make choices there. But, um, you know, if somebody is really interested, and I also have to be honest, once people started to find out that as a veterinarian I wouldn't, attack them, I'm using quotes, but air quotes, but I wouldn't attack them for feeding raw, then I got a lot of people that would come and they would ask questions, and that's what I like. I want to be able to be your animal's advocate, but yours as well. I want to be able to sit down and have dialogue back and forth. We don't always have to agree, but I'd like to be able to sit down and I'd like to be able to give you my experiences and why I'm recommending things, and I want to listen to you because you know your animal better than I ever could. And I want to be able to be a partner with you. And I'm hoping that that's what can happen between general practicing veterinarians and, and dog owners, is that you want to find a veterinarian that you can be a partner with, that you guys can talk about. And it's not just diet. You want to be able to Everything. talk about spay and neuter. You yeah. want to be able to talk about vaccinations. You want to be able to talk about all kinds of things. And that goes both ways, you guys. When we walk into an exam room hostile... We do not get the best that that professional has to offer, period. you got to walk in and say, I, Susan, Dr. Susan Friedman, I'm taking a class with her right now, and one of my favorite things that she says, and she says it all the time, is assume that the person you are working with is competent. <laughs> Always she a says, good plan. Yeah. This is the, first, the best place to start in any professional interaction is to assume the person in front of you is competent. <laughs> And that has, I honestly changed, that has changed my life thinking that way in general. Of course. Because I think we almost are trained to think the other way around. We're trained to just put up our defenses and assume this person's going to screw us over. When in reality. And I think particularly in this topic, this is a very hot topic. This is something that traditionally veterinarians have been very strong against. And again, the AVMA still states that. So there is no reason to think that you're going to walk in and talk to a general practicing veterinarian and they're going to be willing to talk to you about raw easily. Right. But what I'm hoping, again, is that you can be open with them. They'll be open with you. That you guys can have a dialogue back and forth. You can discuss the things that you're both worried about, the things that, you know, risks and benefits and, and truly make best decisions for your pet on a whole range of think topics. Because it's funny because all of these topics, everybody wants there to be a right and a wrong answer. Right. Whether, again, whether it's spay-neuter, whether it's diet, whether it's vaccination, everybody wants there to be one right and one wrong answer. And my particular opinion is that there is not a one-size-fits-all for any of those things. Yeah. There is something in each case, in each animal's life, in each situation where you need to make best recommendations based on looking at the whole picture, based on treating the entire animal, not just one particular thing. And I think that if everybody kind of viewed it that way, then both sides, both the veterinarians viewed it that way as well as the general public viewed it that way, then I think there would be less hostility and I think that there would be better communication and I also think that there would be better overall outcome 
And so on that note, how would you recommend that we, the clients, um, approach their veterinarian or maybe a veterinarian that they would like to forge a relationship regarding nutrition, especially if they want to feed a raw diet, knowing full well that the AVMA recommends against it? And I guess that's probably what I would say. I would say that if I had somebody that came in that didn't know my opinion one way or the other and walked in and said, I, I know that the American Veterinary Medical Association doesn't recommend feeding raw diets to dogs. What is your opinion about that? Just, just that? Yeah, just straight up say, what's your opinion? And But if you, if you approach it by saying, I know that this is not the standard then at least you have said, I'm educated. Yeah. I know yeah. that there's concern out there. As opposed to walking and in and they, saying, this is yes. best, I don't care what your education yes. says. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think I that's really a do, good, that's a good piece like, of advice. Right off the bat then, I know that you're educated. I know that we can talk about it. I know that you know some of the risks, the, some of the things that I'm going to say I'm concerned about. And we can have a discussion right off the bat. So I think that that's how I would, if I was recommending anything for people to walk up to veterinarians, that's probably what I would say. Awesome. So a little um, something that I think a lot of people asked on Facebook and a lot of people think about is what about high quality kibble? We have so many options now with just outrageous ingredient lists that have all kinds of really wholesome ingredients. Like you look at this ingredient list and this seems like a really wonderful, wholesome food to be feeding your dog. They tend to be really expensive. There's a lot of, there's a lot of them available. What are your thoughts on that? Are they worth the price tag? I have to be honest. I'm probably not going to make a lot of friends by saying that. <laughs> this is, it's, that's okay. This that's is why anecdotal. you're the person on my podcast. <laughs> Um, but my experience is that when you take lesser ingredients and you heat cook them through the typical extrusion process to make a kibble, you get a product. And then typically the lesser quality ingredients, because lesser quality went in, so they tend to then spray vitamins and minerals and things on the other end after the cooking process is over versus you take foods that the ingredients going in are fantastic they still go through the same cooking process and then nothing artificial is added at the end no vitamins no minerals because why would in theory why would you need that the ingredients that went in were fantastic right i think that the end result is that you destroyed some of the quality Probably most of it. I mean, you put a blueberry through the extrusion process, it ceases to be a blueberry. Right. So I think that that's that's the bottom line, is that you can take the very best ingredients, but the way that you process it kills all of the valuable good things in it, then the end result is probably no better than the the lesser quality ingredients that started up that way. So, again, not necessarily making any friends, but I do think that that's the case. I think it's more in the process of how the food is prepared than in the ingredients that went into it. It, If the preparation itself is going to kill a lot of the quality. Now, that being said, I feel like there are some kibbles out there that you can now find that are prepared differently. There are some kibbles that are baked, for instance. They are... I do think that sometimes if the if the problem is in the preparation, then I feel like sometimes you can find um, kibble that is prepared differently. And in my experience, those are the kibbles that I have had better luck with. I think that's a good that's an I think that's a good answer that people can probably do a lot with. So shifting gears a little bit, um, you've been a practicing veterinarian for twenty years. Has there been a change in the illnesses that you see walk through your front door in dogs specifically? And if so, do you think diet has anything to do with them? Well, yes, there's been a dramatic shift in the the illnesses that I see. Um, Really, you know, honestly, 
sensitivity, for instance, is the first thing that comes to mind. It used to be that it was pretty rare for me to see food hypersensitivities in dogs. And now it's common, very common. Um, So that, from an illness standpoint, is probably one of the things that, quite honestly, I see allergies in general, whether it's an allergy to food or just allergy to things in the world, environmental allergies. I feel like all allergies have gotten worse over the past 20 years, all of them. But I would say the most dramatic thing, if I had to answer you honestly, that the most dramatic thing that I've seen that changed in the last 20 years is behaviorally. It was 20 years ago, it was very normal and, and typical for me to see a behaviorally sound puppy. It was pretty abnormal for me to see a behavioral uns- a, a, a dog that was just unsound, just behaviorally not okay as a puppy. And that has literally reversed. At this point Oof, in my career, yeah. most I think of the a puppies lot of, that I see... I think a lot of dog trainers have seen the same thing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, literally, right now, if I see a behaviorally stable, normal puppy, it's unusual. I'm, I'm so excited because it's, it's pretty rare. And I think that nutrition plays a big role in that. I really do. I think there's other things that play a role in it, too. I think environment plays a role. I think mental stimulation plays a role. I think that dogs' lives are very different than they were even 20 years ago. I think all of those things have made a difference in that. But I do think nutrition is one of the things as well. And what do you think is the biggest health change and maybe you just answered it, um, that you've seen in dogs overall, and do you think nutrition is related? You know, I, I think that I'm seeing, I'm, dogs have so many food intolerances now. Food yeah. intolerances, like I said, were very strange before. And I'm just seeing that get worse and worse and worse. And yet, in theory, the quality of the kibble that we're providing these dogs is supposedly getting better and better and better. If we're just talking kibble, you know, if we're just yeah. talking the oh, majority yeah. of dogs eat kibble. So if you're, if you're t- just talking kibble, then the, the quality of the kibble that we're supposedly feeding has gotten better and better and better. And yet our animals are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And the food intolerances are getting more dramatic. The allergies in general are getting more dramatic, and they're getting worse. And they're getting, I'm seeing it in dogs that are younger and younger. You know, I used to see food hypersensitivities in dogs that were about four or five years of age. Now I'm seeing them in puppies. Yeah. That was unheard of 20 yeah. years ago. Just unheard of. It never happened. So I think that that probably, from a nutritional standpoint, again, I, I do think that there's other factors involved as well, but I feel like there's been such a shift in paying such close attention to making these kibbles so much better why are we not healthier yeah absolutely if all of a sudden we're eating so much better stuff why are we unhealthier so i do think that there there has to be a correlation in my opinion and (laughs) i i knew we were going to hear from the australian shepherd in the room at some point gusty come here gus come here um, you can't be in a room with an Aussie and not hear from them at some point. Um, is there anything else, Patty, that you would like to add? I just, again, I realize in a lot of the questions that I saw on Facebook and things, there's a lot of very specific questions that are out there. And I really didn't want to try to answer those. That really wasn't my goal here today. There's good information out there about raw diets that you can find there there are books that you can read there are you know there are good sources there there's a lot more choices in prepackaged raw now and companies that make that there's a lot more information out there than there ever used to be and you know there's information on you know I, I saw a lot of people what percentages of this and what percentages of that and the reality is that we want balanced diets whether you're feeding raw or whether you're feeding cooked or whether you're feeding kibble. Quite frankly, you want it to be a balanced diet. You want it to be a species-appropriate diet. You want it to be um, something that you've, you know, that you've put thought into. Really, again, my role, I hope, you know, it wasn't to frustrate people in having this conversation, but was to really just say, here's where the general practicing veterinarian really is coming from. Here's why we're making the recommendations that we're making and hopefully just try to, to decrease some of the hostility. 
we're not out to just say that this is awful and bad. I mean, that's that's really not the point. I went through a real struggle in this learning process from myself. I really do feel like I came out on the other end. I feel like I am um, I'm better armed with information, not only for myself, but also for my patients and for the clients that I serve and work with. I really do feel like... Um, I, it, it was a great learning opportunity for me. I felt like, again, it, it changed Kevin's life. I feel like I've been able to make some recommendations and change the lives of other animals because of it. And the other, you know, really important thing is, is I feel like I've been an opportunity for people that really felt like they couldn't go anywhere else. They couldn't talk to a veterinarian. And they finally just had somebody that they could just, they could just ask me, should I rotate protein sources? You know, right, I mean, they, right. just wanted, they just wanted somebody to just be able to ask basic questions of if, if they're going to feed raw anyway, they, they wanted somebody to be a source of information. And I feel like as a veterinarian, that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I want to be for people. And so that's what I'm hoping that this conversation really and this podcast was about was to just try to open that up, try to realize that we're not the enemy. We're not, we're not fighting with one another. It's just that we really were trained to come at this from a different way and, you know, try to maybe bridge that gap a little bit. So hopefully, hopefully that helped. I think it's helped a lot. Um, and I think, I think people are going to listen to this and wish that you were their vet, but uh, <laughs> know that really, I think most veterinarians, I think all veterinarians, or actually, they didn't become vets to fight with pet owners, and they didn't become vets to make recommendations that were detrimental to their patients. They Absolutely. became vets to actually help promote wellness in pet animals and to help people. And I think, assuming they're competent, talking to them on an education on an educated type of level, um, we can actually get on the same page which is the health of our dogs so patty on that note i want to say thank you so so much for this interview and i will talk to you soon thank you for listening to cog dog radio If you've got questions or suggestions, you can shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time.